at least one time in everyone's life, stars align and a real opportunity presents itself. My job is to be aware of that and then to act on that. And so I had the grace and willingness to see, hey, here's an opportunity, stars are aligned, all I have to do essentially is make as much music as I can and the rest will take care of itself. Welcome friends to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again, and enjoy the show. Okay, we're rolling. Uh, here we are at the beautiful Marina Del Rey studio, uh, one of the headquarters for Signature Tracks. Uh, this is episode's going to be a little bit different because, as you all know, I typically cover shows, and it's the launch of a show and, you know, hopefully the whole genesis and, and huge success of a show, but shows end, right? And even though they do become businesses in many cases, they have a life cycle. Today we're covering a true business, and that is the true business of Signature Tracks, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, they are really the go-to supplier of music for the entire unscripted community, uh, which I imagine designs on even more than that. But that is probably what, what or that's certainly what brought them to my attention, brought them you know, here today sitting in this, again, beautiful studio here in the marina as we kind of overlook some boats in the background. Um, and sitting across from me, we've got David Lassman, Russell Howard, and Adam Malka, the three founders of Signature Tracks, who are also, I don't know, best friends from childhood, incredibly close friends from childhood. Yeah. 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 Best friends. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, hopefully maybe, you know, three's a weird number though, right? Like, so two versus one, maybe one's the best friend, someone's on the outs, or are you guys all pretty good all the time? I think it's been, well, it's three best friends, but I think it's been good that it's three because if it was just two, then yeah. you'd have one arguing with the other. And since you got three, we just have some, somewhat of a balance, which is cool, you know? It works out. It works out great because one of us can lobby the other to kind of <laughs> formulate, like putting, you know, things in a certain direction if making decisions and everything it helps yeah. a lot all right right you always have the tiebreaker for right. sure for sure yeah. for sure so all right well going from my left to my right here uh i'm making eye contact with david lastman who's the one who reached out to me initially uh who is the one i've known the longest uh certainly of the three uh, we've worked together for many years back when david was at tijuana and i was at vh1 um and david is the one who had the light bulb for this company so as i start every show let's start with the light bulb david yeah, so uh, I was editing, you know, I was working uh, as a producer in television shows. And I was sitting in the editing bays and ultimately hated the music. And I also didn't feel like the music uh, organization was really geared towards the users. So editors, you know, look up music. They want to find, you know, drama, comedy, uh, different emotions, you know. And we would have to go through, you know, rock albums with 15 songs on it. And it really wasn't editor friendly and I felt like it was a lot of cheesy kind of stock music 
So, you know, I came to a couple of my best friends. One was Russell Howard, who had produced music for Jay-Z, Babyface, and a bunch of other people. And Adam Mulka, who produced music for his band Trapped and had a business degree. And ultimately, our goal was just to start a company to bring a cooler sound to shows. So that's, that's what we did about 10 years ago. All right, so you reached out to your friends, David, and kind of what happened? You had a light bulb, but anyway, remind me, was this, I also read this was 2008. It was, uh, yeah, 2008. Okay, so a really, really perfect time to launch a business, you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible time, the recession and everything. Yeah, right? the dumbest exactly. possible yes. time to launch a business. Yes. What the Thank fuck you were you thinking, David? I wasn't thinking much except let's make some extra money. Right. We'll get cooler sounds on these shows, you know? And let's see where it can go. You know, you never know where it can go and let's just try. And, and ultimately, you know, thank God it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, so so Russell, uh, your old friend David makes the call. Over right. you're you're working with Jay Z. You're working with these huge artists. You're doing presumably very well. Right. And he says, "Why don't you come do this with me?" Right. Where you, I, I got to imagine you didn't just like jump right in with both feet. I, I've never jumped in anything with both feet. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe the wrong stuff in my past, but um, quote unquote wrong stuff. No. So Dave and I were living together, right? So he brought this idea about making music for uh, these unscripted shows or reality TV and all this stuff. And I was like, no, what do you mean? Who does that? You know, and um, I still had, uh, you know, all these ego aspirations about making music for artists and all that stuff. And I I wanted to become a known producer. And I, I think that's a normal path that producers want. And so for me, this essentially was a backup plan. And really what happened was I was like, nah, but you guys can go ahead and take my catalog of music that I had made over the past five, six, seven years. And, um, and that's what happened. So basically, Adam and Dave went and got that catalog categorized. It started this company. And then within like two or three weeks, um, we got our first show, which was a network show, the show Hitched or Ditched. And I knew enough about royalties and residuals. And it blew my mind. I was like, wait, we're doing the whole show? And hold on, I just got to do music and ASCAP collects it and they pay me and I don't have to deal with shady managers and all this stuff. So then the light bulb went off and I was like, yes, <laughs> that was the transformation. <laughs> yeah. So Luckily, they still had a seat at the table for you. Correct. They, they exactly. You. All right. So Adam, you were the first one to jump in and think that David was not out of his mind. Yes. I thought I was... Um... I was a little reluctant because I wanted to write songs for artists at the time. It was like my passion to write and produce for like Coldplay. Um, at the time, though, I would get songs placed on TV shows once in a while through uh, Brent Kidwell, who's kind of like a mentor and music supervisor friend of mine. And I thought it was pretty a pretty cathartic, amazing moment to just see my music on TV, music to picture for the first time, rather than trying to write, you know, for something that would be listened on the radio. Um, but yeah, um, Dave and I spent weeks even talking about the name. We spent six months coming up with a plan. We organized about a thousand tracks of music that Russ and I had created with a team of guys. We organized it and we did like this new organization where we wanted our music to be um, captured in a way that editors, it would be very friendly to editors in a way that had not been done before. So we started organizing music by mood and certain genres. Um, and then once we got our first break, a friend of ours walked us in, um, Hitch or Ditch, a CW major network series. They fired the composer. They asked us to score the entire six-episode, hour-long six-episode series within a month. So that's when we hit up Russ, and we were like, Russ, we need you know your go-to power. He started writing music um, kind of with a background of like, you know, this incredible hip-hop background, but 
writing that for reality TV was just like a new genre. So he started creating these new sounds um, for this first uh, competition reality production. Um, and yeah, it was just a pretty amazing experience um, to sit behind uh, in the edit bays with a friend of ours who's a post-producer who kind of schooled me on how post-production works. And it taught us a lot about how to service our clients from the very first project that, that we worked on. So how were things categorized previously that was so done so poorly? I don't know. I was honestly like these people, you know, these libraries, they don't pay attention to who they're giving the music to. It's like unbelievable. Like how's an editor going to go through an album of 15 tracks that says rock, you know, like what show needs a rock song? Like not yeah. many shows need a rock song. They need something, you know, that's emotional or reflective or Uplifting. whatever that has yeah. kind of rock elements to it. But I was just kind of blown away and I felt like there was no like none of these libraries or none of these music production houses are actually sitting in the bays and know what the hell they're doing this for. They're just making music. Oh, because music goes on television. But it needed to be much more, you know? Right. And, uh, and also the we, customer service was something that had not been super hands-on. And we just, coming from the East Coast, we've got this incredible work ethic. And our whole motto has been at provide amazing music and also incredible customer service, meaning anything our client needs 24-7. You know, that has been sort of our motto. And we kind of sometimes overextend ourselves, sometimes to our own fault. But while doing that, we've learned so much and grown in our, you know, efficiencies and how we work with clients. So West Coast people are lazy, is that they? Because I'm pretty sure, I know Brent pretty well. I'm no, pretty sure your mentor is a West no. Coast guy. No, 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 no. West Coast people are not lazy. East Coast, there's definitely a straightforward. And it's not that people from the West Coast don't have that. I think it's an individual thing, you know. But um, yeah, you could, you know, often I thought we could change our name to 24 7. Literally, you know, 24 7, customer service, music turnaround. It's really what is, it's been a core value to our brand. I think with yeah. all the things that we would argue about or dispute or whatever, those, you know, that core thing is like bringing a good quality product and like customer service has been the one thing that we've seen eye to eye on and then we'll go above and beyond. And that's kind of one thing that kind of linked together, you know, this, this three people, co-founders starting a company. Right. So hit your ditch happens. Yeah. You guys over deliver. ASCAP royalties coming in. Mm -hmm. And so now, Russell, are you thinking, oh shit, maybe these guys aren't so dumb? It's a great question. So I never, I never, you know, I know, you know, for know what you mean. I never thought, you know, dumb or anything. I just crazy. thought. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, definitely crazy. I still do. And, um, but <laughs> um, what happened for me, and I, and I talk about this a lot, is I, I believe that every, that uh, at least one time in everyone's life, stars align and a real opportunity presents itself. My job is to be aware of that. And then to act on that. And so I had the grace and willingness to see, hey, here's an opportunity. Stars are aligned. All I have to do essentially is make as much music as I can and the rest will take care of itself. And that's exactly what I did. I went ballistic and I just learned how to make music. It's, you know, making music for, uh, for TV and background music, it's its own craft. It has a format. This is a quality meets quantity game, right? You can't sit and take two days on mixing a track because the more tracks you have on air, the more money you make, but they still have to be good. So it's quality quantity, right? So I had to learn this language. Once I did, it was just like, get out of my way. I'm shooting like Jordan in the fourth quarter. That's it. Um, but that's something I really try to uh, drill into these composers. I'm like, listen, this, you know, part of your craft is going to be your consistency. 
If you just look at your craft as, oh, new sounds that I have or how many, you know, new tracks or you're, you, forget about it. This has to be how you're at a race against time. I'm in a race against time. That's the only thing holding me back. Right. So that's been something that's been special for me to to I never I always say I may not be the best composer, but I will knock out the most tracks. So that's something. Yeah. Right. It's the whole art versus commerce. Yes. Right. Yes. Formula quandary that I think so many people face. Right. And anyone in a creative field. But then, okay, so you've got this highly motivated composer and now the two of you have to find a pipeline (laughs) to feed all this rocket fuel that's coming through. I mean, just because you're making the music doesn't mean you have places to place it. No. Right. 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 So, Adam, what did you do then when you realized, okay, Russell's in? Like, let's, how did you find more and more clients? Well, my goal was to really deliver incredibly on each project and then build a base, a customer base, really through all word of mouth. We, were, we don't have any outside sales, um, but we did have a really good strategy of Dave Lastman being a sh- uh, working his way up to the showrunner. While he was in production, he would go from production to production. And, you know, he's so likable that he just made friends with, with so many people that, um, really um, wanted to give us a shot. Mm -hmm. So we made sure that on each project we worked on, we just over-delivered and it kind of just spiraled and built from there. Um, We just have many clients that have been with us since day one Mm -hmm. that really, um, that we've got great relationships with. And I don't know, Dave, if you want to like expand on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think people do notice the difference when Russell makes a track and when other people make tracks. So obviously people liking the music and wanting to continue to do that. I remember we were in Orlando. I was working on the show uh, for Pink Sneakers and they would have signature tracks listening parties and they'd be dancing. It'd be, you know, Nadine from Below Deck who's now like the executive producer in Below Deck. She'd be down there running kind of like a signature tracks dance party, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then Adam kind of has this like Pandora ear. So he'll listen to, you know, our library. He'll know the names, of every song, you know? And then, and then me, I was just getting out there and working with different, uh, different shows. And then, you know, when you're working on a show, you meet 40 new people working at a production company. And then you go to another production company, you meet 40 new people there. And then you just consistently kind of reach reach out to them. Mm-hmm. And once they bring you in, you know, we felt like we could take care of someone better than anyone else. So it's really about being friendly, and organized. Correct. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. And good. Yes. And, and good. Yeah. And, also, and also being easy to work with. Yes. So we're not going to like go heavy redlining contracts. I yes. mean, we just make the way we've got a leniency and ability to make deals where it's super easy. We're super easy to work with. That makes a huge deal. I mean, I think it's yeah. really helped us being likable and easy to work with. Uh-huh. Even with the composers we bring on. I don't care if you're from the school of Berkeley of music. You know, if you don't have an attitude and are not easy to work with. I'm not working with you, you know? And so that, that attitude and that willingness and adjustability and all that, can you take feedback and how do you adjust to notes and all that to me is a talent in itself that supersedes, you know, laying down drums. I can teach you that. Right. Right. So I can't teach you how not to be a dick. That's right. Right. Yeah. All right. So, but hiring composers and building, that's not in 2008, right? So 2008, you're having some success, you're a team. At what point, are you really expanding and bringing on other composers and, and, you know, really building a business? 
I think we would find people based on need. So, you know, a show would come up, you know, uh, what was it? Ultimate Cake Off, you know? And they needed a different, a little bit of a different sound. And we would find someone from that sound. And we built kind of our library and just like our business on the needs of specific shows until it got to a point where, you know, we were in the credits on a lot of shows and then people reach out to us every single day. And then we can go through kind of, you know, what we like or don't like from each composer that submits their... Um, you know, work, but I think we just build it on based on needs, right? Yeah, I agree. And that and and protecting the brand too. There's been other libraries that <laughs> would just accept anything and anybody, and that that just was not our uh, core value. It was like, well, let's right. make sure this composer fits in with our brand and all that stuff. And I and I think that's really been important because it goes back to the the customer trust. I trust. Signature Tracks has a certain value of music, a certain quality of music. So that's been important since day one. We've been really blessed to find some incredible composers with good work ethics, too, that have stayed consistent. Yeah. And that are doing really well financially. I mean, our goal initially was we wanted to have an avenue where songwriters could um, get their music placed to make money doing it. Um, Back when Russell Russell and I used to be in the songwriting camp where he, Russell, actually mentored me as a producer. And... um, there it was like a camp of like 10 15 people and we were pitching 100 songs to maybe get one song placed so initially like that first thousand tracks and batch of our library was like actually just blood sweat and tears of like five years of creating music within this camp and we wanted some of these guys to be able to make money um so that was sort of like kind of an initial thought of the business yeah yeah, there was guys, there's guys that, you know, we have a guy that had uh, two hit singles on the radio, AO and Loyal. And, you know, he has to fight, he had to fight a couple of years to get that money. So it was like creating an avenue for these guys to make extra, extra money. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, right. That was always for me, the thing that I love the most about any production was actually the day before the show started, when the whole crew would come through for the run through, this, that, the other walkthrough. Because it always hit me that, those hundred people have jobs. Yeah. Those hundred people now are able to pay their bills and feed their families and all that. And so the fact that you could create an avenue for people to get paid. Right. Right. I right. mean, how? I mean, you yeah. put a lot of food on the table. Absolutely. Yeah. Russell yeah. has a really good story about one of our main, um, who's actually part of our core, is almost kind of like our vice president Jaime, who's an incredible composer. He has actually scored entire series, mm-hmm. and Russ can kind of tell you tell you about like his inception story with us. I think it's a yeah. great story. Um, I'll shorten it up, but um, basically um, I was rapping and making beats and stuff back in 2007, 8, 9, and I was releasing mixtapes. Long story short, um, this kid Jaime, who, like Adam was saying, is a key opponent, uh, component in our, in our company now. Anyway, he was rapping and he would, he would reach out to me and want to come over and buy what was called beat CDs, which were beats, instrumentals on a CD, right? And for like 300 bucks or whatever. And then, and then he would go back and then he would like, you know, record raps on them and release them on the internet. And so around this 2009-ish, 10, I, I didn't, look, I didn't, Gratefully, I didn't need that money, right? And I felt bad for this kid. I could relate because I remember times when I was trying to rap and et cetera, et cetera. So he came over and, and I was like, look, man, I'm not going to sell you this beat CD. Keep it here, have it, and then keep the $300. And he was like, what should I do? Which is, what a gift to ask that. What should I do, right? And so I was like, get another $100 and go buy Logic on, you know, for like 400 bucks and learn how to make music. Well, how do I do that? Well, start going on YouTube tutorials, right? Start there. So he goes, okay. And I'm like, all right, 
I've said this before. I'll never hear from him, whatever. Six months later, he comes back. Hey, man, can you listen to some snippets of some tracks that I've done? I didn't buy Logic, but I bought this keyboard and I learned how to make beats on this keyboard. Yes, I will. You showed the willingness, right? And the effort. And so um, the tracks weren't that great, but I don't look for that. I look for capabilities, right? So I heard something in there and I was like, okay. And so I was able to basically say, I think he's good at drama music, some hip hop music, blah, blah, blah. I can work with this. So I meet him again. I say, look, all right, now I know you're focused and committed. How about this? Do you know what we do? Yes, I've studied you guys. I know you do music for TV shows. Great. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some of our top shows, find them on YouTube, drive around your car, in your car, and listen to the episodes and listen to the music in the background. Then go and do some music in these categories, these genres thinking, I'll never hear from this guy now. Six months later, hey, buddy, I got 10 tracks and, you know, comedy, 10 in this. I'm like, what is this, right? So he comes, and now I'm like, Yo, this kid's developing into a composer, and that's really all I needed from there. I was like, hey, he's got a work ethic, he's willing, he said he does what he says, and he's getting good. And honestly, the the, the composers that he, he's grown into today, I hear some of his stuff today, and I'm, I'm literally, like, scratching my head. Like, wow, I cannot believe how far he's grown, right? So, like Adam said, he scored entire uh, uh, show series right of this in high high quality orchestral you know for lack of better you know shout out to Hans Zimmer Hans Zimmer type big boom you know and from where he came from to now is just it's a testament you can do it he just did this yeah. theme song for uh, for Trailer Park actually for uh, Aquaman Aquaman uh, it was like a documentary that we did with uh, Trailer Park right the DC Comics and yeah. stuff unbelievable i mean it sounds like you're his miyagi right when did you teach him the, the crane technique so it's <laughs> <laughs> he oh definitely gives me credit for that and i'm, I'm grateful for that it's yeah, a little simple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get it. You know what I mean. So, orchestral. orchestral. Yeah. yeah, he's Sweeping very. Epic. Yeah, he's very grateful, and he's very. Oh, thank you so much, Russ, and all that stuff. But he's a student. And by the way, I'm going to yeah. be scoring some of this podcast in the background. So that's yeah. some. Yeah, he's a, stu- he's a student. You know, as am I. He studies these guys obsessively. Right? Any great at their field? What do they talk about? I obsessively study. I study. I study. Right? The bets, the greats, and all that stuff. So, well, yeah. and I think this is really great color and background because a lot of people that listen to this podcast are just starting out right and they don't maybe exactly know what they want to do they probably ostensibly because they're listening to this they want to sell shows and it takes a whole lot more than just an idea on the back of a napkin right and even if you are lucky enough to sell that show you have to find craftsmen and craft women who care about their craft the way you guys do mm-hmm. and that's not easy to come by it's really not easy to come by, right. um, especially if you're new to L.A. and maybe don't have the, you know, the group of friends and the, you know, the people they can lean on the way that the three of you did. I mean, do you think that was part of the reason that you went into business together because you could just trust, you know, your the other two in a way that maybe you couldn't trust just other random people you're meeting along the way? How much did great question? question. That's yeah. like an awesome yeah. question. I mean, I think so. I think so. And I feel like, you know, also like having like the great relationship, trusting has been, you know, a huge thing. And then, you know, kind of having each one have their niches, you know, like I would always, you know, think that it's like, it's great to have people that are good at certain things, you know, and then you can combine and really like define those things, you know. I think it helps that we definitely have separated roles. 
Um, you know, Russells are incredible, creative. Um, you know, I put him in the studio with any producer in the world. He's super talented. So he, we kind of have like LeBron on the team with mm-hmm. us and he oversees actually I'm pretty sure the metaphor for you guys is Kobe on the team okay. <laughs> right <Kobe is> prime. <laughs> these guys all went to high school with Kobe Bryant for uh, anyone who's unaware yeah. yes we have right. lots of stories 2000 like 8 2009 Kobe right yeah yes yeah. exactly so, okay but yeah you have you've got LeBron on the team yes and then um David's just an incredible uh, networker marketer visionary of the company for me um I like that my background is a mix of I before this I was in business too um, but I'm a background of like, you know, business and creative. So I do most of the music supervision, working directly with clients. So I just love speaking creative language, working with creatives. To me, that's like a dream come true. And I think we're just all super passionate about what we do. One of the production companies I first worked with was Tijuana. And you had like Troy, who was more the creative and John Foy, who was more kind of the business, you know, and I felt like that was kind of like a, it was a good combination to have like people who were skilled at different things, you know. And so I think that's like also been like kind of a good part is that we could able we were able to define roles, you know. I mean, it took I us a while, but no. But I think you're absolutely right. Like the mistake I see is when the you know people's skills duplicate too much, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Versus like a real assembly line here of pass baton, baton, baton. All three of you are bringing a third of right. You know, of the product to the table. Right. I mean, was it pretty clear though in defining those roles, or do you sometimes go back to I mean, again, like, wait, what age were you when you all met? Therapy Six. sessions, you sure. know, yeah. that we ironed it out. Therapy Some therapy yeah. sessions to iron it out, you know. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think, I think that's a com- maybe a common mistake is that um, people think a brand or roles are just defined right off the bat. That's never been my experience. I think they get defined, right? And um, so I feel like these roles and the brand was um, unfolded. It unfolded and. It landed really beautifully, and and I think, like you were saying, for me, my ex- opinion about this is um, learning when you're too close to pushing the button and backing off and respecting the other person for that. I trust you enough. I may still have opinions on how I want to handle it, but I trust you enough greater than my own opinions, and I'm willing to back off a little bit and let you t- step in, Right. Like a relationship. <laughs> That's what we're it's in. It's very hard. Yeah. It's very hard, you yeah. know, to do that because we're all three strong personalities and we all handle things very differently, you know, or would handle things very differently. So, you know, getting older and realizing like, okay, let's take a step back. Let's see how that works. Let's see how your idea works first has been kind of a huge thing that's helped us, you know, get so much better. Did you, I mean... Music, unfortunately, because obviously it's your guys' craft and it's what your real distinguishing factor, but oftentimes, having looked at a lot of these budgets, the network's sort of instinct when they need to cut is let's cut from the music budget, right? Is that something that's really affected your business and you know your bottom line? I mean, when you're getting when you're getting new clients, are you typically getting it through the producers themselves or with the networks? I mean, I've certainly been on shows where the network dictates, this is our library, you have to work with this, and they're just so sort of hand, handcuffed. I mean, did you even know that that was going to be a challenge going in? Has that proven to be a challenge? Or do you just make great stuff and 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 treat people well and are not jerks and let the chips fall from there? We, 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 have, we have strategic network partnerships that we created to kind of keep up with things. Um, most of our jobs are uh, through producers. Uh, I think that come in or networks will kind of have an influence. 
But uh, initially, it kind of was like the Wild West, and we had to really get creative. There's a lot of ways we get creative now, but um, budget is something that we're able to work with. We also make a lot of money on the back end, so there's ways that we can factor that in. Often, it comes down to what network the show is on, kind of pays different royalty rates that are paid on that, and how that may affect the deal. Some shows, there's like no back end right now with... Um, everything with Netflix and everything online, there's very little back end. So budgets are important. And now actually budgets are coming up based on that. So um, it is definitely a moving target. I feel like a moving mm-hmm. target that we have constantly are strategizing and, you know, being mm-hmm. aware of. Yes, yeah, it's very well said. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no. Yeah. The interesting thing, I feel like all the production companies see music differently and all producers see music differently some people you know they're very specific you know bill langworthy from uh vanderpump rules will come to the studio and he'll take notes on every single cue you know that he likes that we play and then we'll discuss what's popular what's coming up new Mm -hmm. and and russell will tell him sounds that are coming up new how can we incorporate that in the comedy Mm -hmm. and we'll go through that at length you know, and actually people who watch Vanderpump Rules, we've got a lot of shows from people who watch Vanderpump Rules and love that music, you know, and I think it makes that show even a lot better. You talked about it even on your podcast uh, with the people from Vanderpump Rules. Um, and so I feel like um, some people see it like that and some people, are, you know, look at just the numbers, you know, and so it's just kind of feeling out who we're working with and then, you know, and dealing with that. Yeah. What do you, th- I mean, Obviously, there are a billion unscripted shows on TV, and I know you guys have had success outside of just that core sort of competency, but you know, what does the future hold for your company? Are there genres and shows and films and just other versions of entertainment that you hope to get into? Do you have a real plan, or you know, what, is the, what do you think this company looks like in five years? Well, that's a great question. That's a great yeah. question. Definitely. Uh, Russell, the Russell, the, yeah. the, um, the current visionary. Well, uh, well, well thank you. Um, I don't. I, I think sky's the limit. I think they're making so much content now. They're making it, it, it. Like Adam was saying with the Wild Wild West, I feel like we're in this place where no one knows. No one knows what's going, what's going to happen with all this streaming and all that stuff. But in the meantime, there's so much content going on. And um, so I think in five years, yeah, we're already, we're already doing films. We did a Mario Van Peebles film and, we, you know, we're doing this, you know, the DC comic stuff and we're doing, we do Nissan campaigns and commercial, you know, and so unscripted and we're doing, you know, we did music on Goliath and stuff. So it's like, it's just, yes, it's not going to just be limited to unscripted by any means. Um, I think that's a core though right but i think just sky's the limit is going to keep growing and growing and and um yeah yeah i'm very positive about the next five years yeah i think you know um we've we've discussed with uh publishing companies about partnering up working with their different artists which i think would be cool a lot of youtube content creators so making kind of e-commerce uh site where they can go and kind of feel that out um obviously you know more commercials um and you know just growing and seeing kind of where the landscape of content goes you know uh we just you know signed uh another deal for more uh facebook shows Mm -hmm. for uh this red table talk which is like one of their most popular shows Mm -hmm. and uh and then netflix we just have a new show uh coming out which is kind of like american idol but uh for rap you know and cardi b and chance the rapper are um our judges and so and ti uh, and, and ti yeah so uh so you know they're 
content's coming all over the place. It's just about how to service all those needs. You know? Sure. Well, you talk about the future of content. I mean, let's also talk about the future of music, right? I mean, Adam, music today and how it's, you know, so, I mean, you just talked about, you just listed some of the biggest artists on the planet and they're on a show on a service that with the streaming, I mean, 10 years ago, you would have looked at me like, huh, wait, what? Like the biggest rapper on the planet is going to be a judge on a show and what's streaming. I mean, things are just moving so quickly. Right. And the fact that artists, you know, even massive artists like Cardi B are comfortable going on these shows. It just speaks to, I guess, the power of, you know, the seat that you guys sit in. Yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah, content often now is now um, a way to push the artist. Yes. That has happened a lot. Um, we're seeing that. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as far as the scope of like music, creatively, I think we're in an amazing time where just, um, Russ can talk more about how just like, music production, like, you know, 10 years ago, you had to like go in a studio, you had to like, but now there's just, there's so much talent that you can find that are working out of their home studios. Virtually, we have the ability to work with some of the most incredible composers. Um, right. And, but creatively, music, I think it's, you know, we're, it's always shifting and changing. We're always trying to create music that's new and fresh for our clients. So like a few years ago, we're working on Below Deck, Below Deck Med, and we pitched Bravo. We want to do Tropical House and EDM. And back then, that's when it was first coming out, when Kygo was kind of, you know, coming mm-hmm. out during the summertime and that was too fresh for the network then and then it filtered in about six months later and then that's it. what everyone wanted for um a few years and, and sounds are always shifting mm-hmm. and we're kind of have to be uh, ahead of the curve on that um that happened even with dubstep before tropical house now we've got a lot of uh, current hip-hop vibey music yeah. and we're finding a way how does that work in the underscore how do right. we how do we take vibey trap beats and include and incorporate that within comedy music or attention music and in a way that still works underneath dialogue. These are things that we actually like creatively Russ and I are talking about all the time. It might be a subtle mix of hi-hats and little things that change. I mean, just creatively, it's always keeping us inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always, uh, we are definitely drawing upon artists that are current and fresh um, today in all of our projects. And often clients are looking to us to be the creative leaders, to be the ones that pitch them. Here's what we think will work well. Um, all right. We're working on a Fox show, Labor of Love. It's coming up. It's like the 40-something Bachelor, Bachelorette <laughs> type show. And we're pitching them. Well, let's let's use Ed Sheeran-influenced acoustic guitar over up-tempo beats that sound like, um, you know, this one particular artist. I mean, we're always kind of like pitching and, and shaping the sounds of these shows. And we've actually shaped the sounds of, uh, of entire networks, like namely Bravo is a huge network we work with. And we're on about 15 or so of their series and each project has to sound uniquely fresh and creative. And so that requires a lot from us. Right. Um, with still with respecting Bravo sound. Right. That's the yes. trick of it. Right. And that's, and, and that's that balancing act. Um, and they're not at all particular. No, no, no. no. But they're, they're great though. <laughs> they, they got great ears. Right. And they've been, and, um, and you know, they've been really cool with, with trusting us with the, with the sound, you know, and, and it's, Really been a great mesh, I believe. Yeah. One thing I hear from people constantly and people reaching out to me now, you know, having this podcast is this idea that they feel kind of like stuck in a rut and advice, right? This is a very big advice driven show and I want to be this thing, but I don't know how to do that. Or, you know, how do you get there? I mean, maybe this is most specific for David, but did you find that it was challenging to kind of reinvent yourself in the music world? I mean, it was a pivot from what you did. You had a, you know, you linked an arm back to your TV roots, but 
did you find that people were open to it, resistant to it? I mean, what advice would you have for anyone listening that's that's thinking, I want to do something slightly different, I want to be viewed slightly different than I'm currently viewed, but I just can't get people to, to believe that? I mean, just from starting off from the beginning, I'll go back even farther. You know, I was bartending, you know, in Venice Beach before I got my first job in television. And I just decided to quit. That's not what I want to do, you know? So I put pressure on myself. And then I got the job at the lowest level as a production assistant. And, you know, it was just calling everyone I know to try to get one job. And then once you get that job, to stay in there, you know? And it was the same type of thing, um, you know, moving up in that world, just knocking on doors. I used to go into Troy Sears' office all the time and, you know... I'm not satisfied with production assistant. I want, you know, to be a story assistant. I want to be a story producer, you know, and, you know, the next show and just, you know, obviously doing like a great job in doing that. And then as far as kind of transitioning over to music, uh, I feel like it's the same thing. It's like not being shy. Some people are really shy and don't want to ask or don't want to, don't feel like um, maybe they're not ready, you know, um, but but getting in there and then just making sure that, that they're happy, just consistently, you know, knocking on doors and not being afraid to ask. Like people's, people aren't thinking about how can they help you? No one's thinking, how can I help David Lassman? You know, but they're willing to if you're consistently reaching out to them, you know, and they see that That's you have that work point. ethic, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, Adam, what advice would you, I always ask advice to your 25 year old self? You know, what, what advice would you give to young Adam? Okay, that's great. Um, wow, back, I would give him advice of like, don't be too stressed out about how things are going to work out as long as you follow what you're passionate about doing. For me, I actually, um, I struggled in my mid, early, you know, early mid 20s of just like, I wanted, to, I was obsessed with writing music and I wanted to be able to make money doing it. It was really stressful just thinking, how's that even going to be possible? But I definitely followed the passion and, um, I did, we work, I worked for free for a while. Um, so I would say to my younger self, um, really don't stress about it, but just continue following the passion and be okay working and not making money. If you love what you do initially, right. cause there will be a way to find, and also that it may just advice to other people that I don't think what you're passionate about has to be exactly in this one mm -hmm. pigeonholed, uh, position or job that you think it may be. Like, for example, my aunt is in her mid sixties and looking to be an actress. And I know she's just obsessed with acting. And I thought, and I'm trying to explain to her, it could be that you work with casting and you're yeah. still working with your past. Don't be surprised that it could take on different shapes and forms. But the main ingredient is, are you really passionate? Would you do something? Would you do this for fun and for free? Right. And I think following that is, is really just almost like a clue God has given us as a roadmap of where our direction should be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and what about you, Russell? You've kind of had the straightest line in, you know, I would say career-wise, career trajectory. What what would you say to young Russell? Uh, just to be less, just to be less fearless, and and to get rid of that timeline. I think I think people suffer from imaginary timelines. I'm supposed to be here at this age. I'm supposed to be there at that age, and then they get caught in the trap of comparison. I can now, especially with social media, they can pick up the phone and just look. Why am I not doing what that person is? And um, why am I not working with Jay Z when I'm? That's know, correct, right? Yeah, but I can pick up the phone and say, "Why am I not doing shows like Diplo?" Right? There's always that. So sure. it's like I, to kind of to spin off what Adam was saying. It's like I have to be willing, and Dave was saying, and pick goals and focus on them each day. So what I often tell people when they come to me for advice is, I think um, 
to let, let's lessen the goal a little bit. Let's simplify it, right? Because goals can, can feel like obligations or they can feel too big. So how about we just start with one thing you do once a week or one, uh, one thing a day. You know, I want to be a writer. Okay. Today, you're just going to Amazon a dictaphone. Don't pick it up. You did one thing for that week. Next week, you're going to pick up that dictaphone and start talking in it. And you start, you will write one paragraph. And so if I start implementing these incremental plans, I start to slowly build confidence in it, right? I don't overload myself where there's such a thin line between creativity and wanting to do something and obligation. And if that obligation kicks in, fear kicks in, I'll back off. Most people back off. I'm not going to do it. Can't do this, right? So yeah, that's been big for me. Even today, um, when I, I feel like maybe I'm not as inspired, I go search for it. I got to go get it. I got to go find it. I, all, I tell composers, inspiration is part of your craft. How do I find inspiration? Go bodyboard. Go do something youthful. Go play ping pong. Go to a different state. I know it sounds weird. What's this guy talking about? Tap into that youth. Go do something differently. And somehow something happens where I'm like, I just feel a little refreshed. That translates into the creativity. So that's, that's the advice I would give. Yeah. Yeah. Tony Robbins has this great quote that's like, uh, people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's so true. You know, if you set your goals, you know, but like lengthen that time, you know, what do I want to be doing in 10 years? You know, then you can achieve that. If you're thinking, oh, I need to be a successful producer, composer, whatever, a year from now then most likely, you know, you might not be at that stage right no, away. I, lo- I love it, right, because the added, right, is it a marathon or a sprint? Life is a marathon. The problem is in today's society, because of these phones in our pocket and because of everything you're talking about, it's become a marathon and a sprint, right? And it is great. Slow down. Slow down. Be present, you know? Realize you're only running your own race. You know, I don't know how many more cliches I have in me. I like them. I like <laughs> we them. have to practice like meditation them. every day yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> make sure that we can slow things down. Yeah, I do. I, I do too. Do. Yeah, 20 minutes a day. Yeah. Me too. There yeah. you go, Alexa. Put it's, on meditation. Music. Seems to be the magic number from all the studying I've been doing about it. It's something about 20, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, internal man, internal and external. That's the thing. It's like. It's so important if I'm internally at peace or focused, that's going to show up in my work. There's just, it's a fact, right? And so um, that, that's very, very important for me. A daily hygiene of internal stuff. Yeah. I love it. Well, I love what you guys have built. Obviously, you're bringing a lot of joy to a lot of people, to, to their ears, to their, you know, to their eyeballs, via their ears. And I think it's really great. Thank I think you. it's really, Thank really you. inspirational. Thank you so much. Thank so you. last question. Uh, what's it look like when you guys roll up to your high school reunion? I, mean, <laughs> I don't think Adam goes, right? Did you go I missed the last I one, but last we, one. there was an epic one we rolled up. I think it was, was it, uh, I don't know, maybe 15, 15 10? seven years ago or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went and it was triumphant. We sort of rolled <laughs> up. Like, but this was kind of a couple of years after we were starting, so it was then. At least I remember the last time the three of us rolled up. So right. I missed the last one. Yeah, but it's definitely cool because, you know, the New York Times article and Forbes and all this stuff. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's cool. I think it's cool for I know I get, you know, a lot of um, the people in high school and stuff on social media definitely send nothing but love. Really proud of you guys. It's amazing to see what you guys have built and stuff like that. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Redeeming. I love it. Be true to your school. Be true to your school, yeah. That's right. Well, you guys are wonderful. Thank you, Signature Tracks. 
Thank you. Leaders in the genre. Only bigger things coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you. So there you have it. The true story of Signature Tracks. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thank you to our guests, David Lassman, Adam Malka, and Russell Howard, and to my wonderful family for all of their help and support. Also, please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. And since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. So thank you again for listening, and please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind. <laughs>